visions and destiny. So just to give you a little bit of an understanding, we're doing it in kind of two phases. So on Sunday mornings, we're going to be talking about like dreams for your life and directions for your life and how to get a God-sized dream and you know how, to, how do you pursue that and how does that come. And then in the afternoon, particularly this afternoon at 3.30 and then next week, we're going to talk about supernatural dreams. And you say, well, what's that all about? Those are those dreams... You know, where you're sitting on the side of the road and you see a, an elephant waving at a pink car and you're like, what does that mean? You know, those dreams that you that are crazy to you or those dreams that are like a story. So we're going to have a dream class this afternoon and we're going to be talking about the supernatural side of dreams and why they're important and why they should be valued and why they should be honored. But this morning we're going to be talking about dreams, right, from the natural perspective. And when you have a dream and everybody has a dream in their heart, right, we have this dream. You, you see yourself, it's like you're, you're, you're there and man, I just see myself just doing this thing or I've always had a dream to be that or I've always had a dream to do that. And what a dream is, is it's an image of your destiny. It's an image of your purpose and it's a summons to become someone that you were created to be. You were created on purpose with a purpose and God has created you in a unique way and he has created you to accomplish something significant or something worthwhile in the earth. And you all want it, right? Nobody wants to say, hey, I just want to waste my life and, you know, throw 20 years down the drain. I, nobody, nobody wants to do that. And the other side of this call is that you're created to dream. And one of the things we're going to be talking about in the class is that we dream because God created us to dream. We have visions because God's created us to have visions. And there's actually, um, the Greeks would call it a state of being. So they would call it like being able to see while seeing. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I know you do because you're humans, right? You can see while seeing. You can see that's what a vision is. You guys are looking at me like, what are you talking about, man? What are you talking about? So that's a state of being, of being able to see. What happens with a dream is you're able to dream when you're, while you're asleep. You go into another state of being while you're sleeping. It's a state within a state. That's how the scripture would define it. And so you were created to dream. The reason that we can see while seeing and the reason that why, why we can see while sleeping is because God made us this way. So you have to realize that that's part of your natural makeup. Someone once said this, the graveyard is the richest place on earth. That's right. Everybody say, ouch. Right. Because it is here you will find all of the hopes and the dreams that were never fulfilled. All of the books that were never written, the songs that were never sung, the inventions that were never shared. The cures that were never discovered. All because someone was too afraid to take the first step. All because someone wanted to keep the problem the way it was or never became determined enough to carry out their dream. Ah. Reasons why people give up on their dreams. There are reasons. Number one, number one reason why people give up on their dreams or fail to even start is they're afraid of the opinions of other people. It's the number one reason. They're afraid of what people will think of them. You ever see the movie Zohan? I want to cut hair, right? So he wanted to go around and cut, there's a, he wanted to cut hair, but he was too afraid of what everybody would think of him, right? So most people, his dream was to be a hair guy, a, dr- a hairdresser like Paul Mitchell, like Paul Mitchell. And so he, he wanted to do this, but he, he, he held himself back for a long time and he even stopped doing it for a while in the movie. It's a comedy anyway. Is this in the Bible? Somebody tell me where Zohan is in the Bible. So the reason that he stopped doing it is because he was afraid of the opinions of people. A lot of people don't pursue their dreams because they're afraid of what other people will think of them. 
I want you to say it. It doesn't matter what other people think of me. That's right. They allow, the second reason is they allow other people to set the course for their life. They let people tell them who they are. They let circumstances tell them who they are. They let their family tell them who they are. They let all of these other voices determine who they are. And they let all these other voices determine the course of their lives. Another reason that people give up on their dreams is they fail to see immediate success. A lot of people start their dream and there's no, say it with me, there's no such thing as immediate success. Right? This, this generation, particularly with the youth and my son and even my daughter's generation, we live in a world where, like, if you're not a millionaire by 30, you've failed. That's how these kids feel. It doesn't work like that, right? It just doesn't, if, if it, 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 life is not that way. And so people pursue their dreams, but if they, see, if they don't see immediate success, people give up. There's no such thing as immediate success. Success comes to those who learn from their mistakes, yet they keep going. Another reason people give up on their dreams is they lack persistence. When the going gets tough, they, they give up. Because they don't, they don't understand that the road is hard and the road is long. Dreams require a lifestyle over a lifetime. That's how it's required. That's how we develop even as believers is through a lifestyle over a lifetime. The world plays short. The kingdom plays long. When I first got married and I went to a guy who had been married for a long time and I was explaining to him how I felt and how I thought. And he said, Kevin, you want a marriage that takes 30 years to develop in three. You know, you're, 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 you're putting way too much expectation on this thing. And, and a lot of people put this level of expectation on their lives that no one else is putting that on their life. And the pressure a lot of times on us, we, we, we feel like we can't achieve and so we pull back. You, keep, you have to keep going. Another reason people give up on their dreams is negative influences. The environment that they find themselves in. We think everything's my little pony, right? That, like, if I'm pursuing my dream, then rainbows and glitter should appear. And everything should just be happily ever after. That's not how life works. There's a lot of negativity. You have to fight through a lot of negativity, especially if you're trying to pursue a dream. You're trying to pursue a dream. People don't want you to pursue their dream. They want you to be a quitter just like they're a quitter. That's what they want. They want to diminish you because if you succeed, it makes their success, it makes their failures look, it makes them look bad. So negative influences, allowing other people to negatively influence you or giving in to negative circumstances causes people to quit their dreams. A big one here is an unwillingness to change. When you pursue a dream, you are required to change. Whatever that dream may be, when you pursue it, you have to change. Let's just bring it into the family life. You have a dream. You're going to get married, right? You get married. You have a relationship. There you go. Call it out, right? And you're going to get married. When you get into that marriage and you get into that relationship, you're going to quickly realize that you are required to change. That you're just not going to go into this thing and everything's going to be just the way it is. And so when you're pursuing this dream of a relationship and, and this, this, this marriage pursued in this dream and that's a good thing but people quit because they know someone one or the other party will not change they refuse to change someone refuses same thing happens with kids you have a dream of kids we're gonna have children it's gonna be glorious our children are gonna go to harvard and juilliard and you know we're gonna have great kids and then your kid barely makes it out of high school or your kid wants to go and be a plumber when you had dreams he was going to be a rocket scientist and you know and there's there, there's a requirement of change and then you end up having the uh when you're thinking this is the way to raise children you have to change children will teach you you know nothing marriage will teach you you know nothing 
I always tell this story when I was, um, Sherry was at an appointment and I had to go meet her there and I had Mariah in the car and she was just a little baby at the time. And so she's crying, you know, she's like maybe three years old. She's like, oh, I'm hungry, right? Oh, daddy, daddy. And there's no munchies in the bag, right? The diaper bag is empty and dad's freaking out because I have a toddler next to me screaming. And I saw in front of me the angelic sign of the golden arches, right? McDonald's appeared. Ha And so I went through the drive-thru and I bought her a bunch of french fries, right? So I used to feed her french fries when we were in the car just to keep her... Now, before you go judging me, you're going to listen to my story. And so I would stick the french fries in the, in the vent, you know, to cool them off. And then I'd give them to her. And so I showed up and Sherry's at the appointment. And she's like, hey, what took you so long? I was like, oh, man, Mariah, I was so hungry. I had to, I had to, get her, I had to go by McDonald's and get her, some fr- get her some french fries. And this woman looks at me and goes, I would never feed my child McDonald's. And I look at her and I go, well, how many children do you have? I don't have any children. But when I have children, I would never feed my child McDonald's. I'm like, okay, I rest my case. You'd be amazed at how quickly you change. You'd be amazed. My child is going to have nothing but organic. I'm going to peel the apples by hand every day. Yeah? You're going to be in a circumstance, in a situation where that child's not going to cooperate. And you're going to have to look at that kid and go, now... Little Timmy, I need you to stay calm until mommy gets home and peels the apples for you. The kid's not going to listen to you. You're going to have this shrieking child stuck in traffic. That's my favorite, too. You're stuck in traffic, and the kid is losing it. Do I have any parents in the room? Do I, you know, it's like, come on. It's like, we've all been there. Your dreams of what that was going to look like are suddenly forced to shift. And so you have to shift in order to pursue your dreams. People that don't believe in themselves, this is a huge one. They don't believe in themselves. I just gave a word to a little girl in the back, and I told her, I said, you're very good, and you're very competent, and you're very strong at something, but you feel that if you shine, you make others look bad. And I told her, I said, I feel like the Lord is telling you that in your shining, you're not making others look bad, but you're giving other people an opportunity to rise to your level. And a lot of people, they don't believe in themselves, or they, they suppress their strengths, or they have a false identity of themselves, and that actually causes them. They don't want to make other people look bad, whatever it may be, but they have this false belief system about themselves and it causes them to give up or they fail to establish clear goals. So this series we're going to talk about today, we're going to talk about setting a personal foundation. In other words, dealing with you. Next week, we're going to uh, talk about why you need a God, why you need a God sized dream. Then we'll talk about the third week. We're going to talk about how you get it and how you pursue it. And then if I, if I don't cover this section in the other ser- other parts of this, we're going to talk about getting back your dream. But today we're going to talk about the foundation of personal foundation. I want you to say this. If God can use Jacob, He can use me. Jacob's been a study of mine for a lot of years. And every time I go back to Jacob, I always learn something new. And so I was been looking at Jacob over the years. And Jacob was a guy who who had some serious issues. Jacob was a twin. He was born a twin. He had a brother named Esau. And we're going to pick up the story where God first, where Jacob first encounters the Lord. He has a personal encounter with Jesus. If you want to fulfill your life and you want a destiny or a dream or you want any kind of drawing, I want you to say this. I want you to say, I need a living encounter with Jesus. That's right. And so Jacob's on the run. Jacob had deceived his father and he'd stolen from his brother and his older brother wants to kill him now. Okay? So he's on the run. What's really going on is his father has realized the deception, but his mother comes to um, Isaac and says, I need you to send uh, Jacob away to the, to the other country. And all the moms in the room are going to appreciate this. And Jacob's like, well, why do you want him to go back to your homeland? And she says to him, I told Sherry, we need to pray this. 
She said, if my son marries a woman of the Hittites, my life will have no value. I cannot live if my son marries this godless woman or any of these godless women. That's what she's saying. Moms, you need to have that prayer. If my son, Lord, if my son marries a Hittite, my life will have no value. So you send him where you need to send him. You cross paths with whoever you need to cross paths with him. But he should not, I do not want my child marrying a godless person. And so Jacob's like, sounds good to me. So he sends him off, sends him off to uh, uh, Isaac's, yeah, Rachel. Sends him, Isaac, Isaac married Rachel, Rebecca. No, yeah, no, Rebecca. Sorry, sorry. Get, get, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Sarah. You know, she set, sends him home to her homeland. And so he's off in his homeland. And so Jacob is now traveling alone, going back to his ancestral homeland of his mother to go and, God willing, find a wife. And so Jacob did everything his way. So Jacob was a manipulative person. And through his whole life, he had always worked things to his advantage. And Jacob w- would manipulate other people in order to get his way. This is the hallmark of Jacob's life. He's the first Frank Sinatra. Okay? I did it my way. So he's the first guy that ever sang that song. He lived a life that was po- totally self-willed. He used other people to gain his advantage. And he has an encounter with Jesus. And God is saying to him in this encounter, Jacob, I have bigger plans from you, for you. This is the beauty of who the Lord is. Even in your stupidity, he will meet you. Even in your arrogance, he will meet you. Even in your foolishness and the bad choices of your life, and even when you're running from something, the Lord will meet you. And you know what his word is for you? I always have, he has, always has something bigger from you, for you. You can settle, but Jesus never settles. This is what you need to know about the Lord. The only person that settles is you. He never settles. The Lord is moving, 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 moving. Always moving you forward. The only time there's any kind of settlement is because you want it. Or you refuse to take the next step with him. And so he encounters the Lord and he encounters him in a dream. I mean, how beautiful is that? Jacob's running. Jacob's hiding. Jacob's got all this junk going on in his life. And the Lord shows up. He says, I've got a dream for you, Jacob. I've got a plan for you. Don't you want that? Why would you avoid the Lord, man? Say, I've screwed up. I did this. I've done that. doesn't matter. God's got a dream for you. It says, when Jacob reached a certain place, this is Genesis 28. And not only is this a physical place, but Jacob reached a certain place, I believe, emotionally. And I believe Jacob reached a certain place spiritually where he was now open to hear from the Lord. He, no, nowhere in the scripture does God give us any, any indication that he had encountered Jacob up until this point. And God had to wait until Jacob reached a certain point. It wasn't that God didn't want to speak to Jacob. It's that Jacob was not at the certain place. He was not at the place where he could hear. Anybody know what I'm talking about? There are many times, even when you look back on your life and even before you came to Christ, you can see how Jesus was trying to reach you, but you weren't there. You weren't ready. You didn't want it. And so here's Jacob, and he reaches a certain place, not just physically, but he's at a certain place spiritually and emotionally. And he stops because the sun is setting. And he finds a stone, and he creates a pillow, and he lays down and goes to sleep. And God, everybody say it with me, and God gave him a dream. God gave him a dream, right? What a beautiful thing. In which he saw a stairway going from heaven to earth, and earth to heaven. And angels were going up and down the stairwell. And at the top of the stairwell was the Lord. And he said to him, I am the God of your father, your grandfather, Abraham, and of your father, Isaac. And I'm going to give you and your descendants the land upon which you are sleeping. And your descendants will spread around the whole world. 
And all of the peoples of the earth are going to be blessed by your future generations. And you know what the greatest promise of all? I'm about to give it to you. I will be with you. That is the greatest promise you could ever imagine the Lord to give you is I will be with you. There's no problems when Jesus is with you. There's nothing but solutions. (laughs) And then he says to him, and I'm going to watch over you wherever you go. So that's the second one. But one day I'm going to bring you and your people back to this land. And when Jacob woke up, he said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware. Hello. The Lord was here. The Lord's all around me. And I didn't even realize it. And then he was afraid. And he said, this place is awesome. It is the house of God. It is the gateway to heaven. So early the next morning, Jacob got up and took the stone that he used. And now he's going to do an act of worship. He anoints the stone. He puts a spiritual marker down in his life because of this encounter. And the anointed stone with oil, and he named the place Bethel, which means house of God. Then Jacob made a vow with the Lord, and he said, If you will be with me, I will honor you with all of my life, and I will give to you a tenth of all you give to me. God makes a promise, and Jacob makes a covenant. Right? This is a, God's going to get, Jacob's going to give the tenth, and a lot of people wonder where the tithe came from. They think that the tithe came from the law, that Moses mandated the tithe. Moses did not mandate the tithe. Abel tithed, Abraham tithed, and here you see Jacob tithing, and nobody gave him a command to do so. God forced them to do so under the law so that they would remember him. God forced them to do so under the law in order for the blessing to keep flowing in the nation. God could not flow the blessing unless he made them give. And so he mandated that they give in order to keep the blessing flowing. In our, as New, New Covenant Christians, the tithe has not been rescinded. People need to know that. He has never one time rescinded the tithe. But he gives you now the option to do it willfully. Out of obe- you can be obedient. You can be, do it out of your will. Or you can do it as an act of honor. But the Lord never rescinded the tithe. Not once. You see him in Matthew. He said, you should tithe. But stop neglecting the weightier matters as well, which is mercy and justice. Jesus, Jesus affirms the tithe. He never withdrew it. And so for those Christians that believe that God has withdrawn the tithe, you don't know what you're talking about. And I would say to you, who told you that? Your Bible doesn't tell you that. You believe something that's not true. You believe something that God never did or ever said. And so Jacob makes a covenant with God. God says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to be with you. And he says, I'm going to give you a tenth. I had a guy here. There's a couple guys in church and they're business guys and they've seen blessing. You know, they come to me and ask me, how do I get the blessing of heaven? I'm like, real easy. Tithe from your personal and tithe from your business. You want God to bless your business? Don't just tithe from your income. Begin to tell your business to tithe. My business is tithing too. We're giving money out of that. And I said, then God's going to move over it. And he's like, well, I've been doing that for the last year, this guy's telling me. And he's like, but I I just can't. I'm I'm starting to see the success with it. But he goes, I really want to go to these really high levels. I said, if you want to go to those high levels, then you need to make a covenant with God. And people go, well, I'm already in covenant with God. Duh. God's a covenant God, people. He likes to strike deals. He likes to strike bargains. He wants to make an an agreement with you always. And I told him, I said, you need to take, uh, he's explaining to me what he's doing. And he's saying, you know, I, I don't, I said, what I would do with your business is I would draw a line across the top of my business. And I would tell the Lord, every dollar above this amount, I'm going to pay the full tithe on everything. So everything's going to have the full tithe. But everything that reaches above this amount, every three months, I'm going to withdraw X amount, 3%, 4%, 2%, whatever. But every quarter, I'm going to withdraw a percentage from that income above that level. And I'm going to give it wherever you tell me. I'm going to give it as an offering. 
So the tithe is an accessory. The tithe is from zero all the way up. And I'm going to keep tithing as the business rises. But when I hit this mark, every dollar that's above that mark, not only am I tithing above it, but I'm going to give you a percentage of that every quarter. And I said, and watch what he does. And he comes back to me and he goes, I feel like this guy's got nothing. But he's watched God bless him. He got 10 grand now, right? Through what he's been doing. He's like, and he goes, I go, what's the number? He goes, I feel like God gave me a number. I go, yeah, what's the number? He said, 50 grand. I said, so every dollar above 50 grand, you're going to take it out every quarter. He said, absolutely. I said, watch how fast you get to $50,000. I said, you'll probably be at $50,000 before the end of the year. The issue isn't whether or not you'll get to $50,000. The issue is whether or not you'll be faithful with what he gives you once you get above it. Jesus, the problem, money's not God's problem. Faithfulness is our problem. We make deals with God and we strike covenants with God and we don't fulfill them. That's why the Bible says, fulfill your oaths. Why? Because we're not, well, we shouldn't take oaths. No, there's a, this is an entirely different dynamic than taking an oath. It's entirely different. It's entirely different. There's covenants that you can make in your ministry. There's covenants you can make in your lives. There's covenants that you can make with, you, with your family. There's covenants you can make in your finances. Jacob's doing it right here. He's striking. They would strike hands. Slap, slap. Right? High five, slap, slap. You know, whatever. But it would be the, the, a covenant. One of the ways a covenant would be made would be the striking of the hands. And he's striking hands with the Lord. I dare you. I dare you. You should put God to the test. And you should tell him. I need X amount. He doesn't care what your baseline is. Your baseline is irrelevant to him. You could tell him, well, you know, I mean, be realistic. I mean, that just depends on how fast. Well, if God gives me $10 million, then I'll tithe on top of that. You're an idiot. I mean, seriously, go back and examine your heart. Is that really what you want? That tells me you're greedy. That tells me you only want something from him and you're not interested in communing with him. That's a ridiculous amount of money. Now, give him something reasonable that he can work with, that he can measure you to. And work off of that. I'm telling you, you're going to see it. You'll see it. you see it. We've had that happen a couple of times. I had another guy tell me the same thing. I told him, do this. And you know what happened? He's like, I can't believe it. I go, I can believe it. Our biggest problem, we let the devil rob us financially because we refuse faithfulness. We let the devil rob us because we refuse covenant. We refuse to go higher. We refuse to press into who and what we are. That's another thing. In the middle of his stupidity, Jesus meets him. Aren't you glad? Jesus, he was in a certain place. So he was in the mountains of Moriah, which is actually where the temple would be built. So Jacob was in a certain place. He was in the mountains of Moriah, which is where Jerusalem would be. Ultimately, the temple would be. So yes, he was in a prophetic place, but he was also in a prophetic, he was also in a state where he could hear. He sees a ladder. What is the ladder telling him? A staircase from from earth to heaven. What God is telling him is, is you have access What's happening here with Jacob, and this is what happens with a lot of Christians, Jacob, Jacob's issue, and it was his issue his whole life, is that he had false perceptions. Your biggest problem lies between your two ears. Your biggest problem is your perception. Jacob had a false perception of God. The ancients believed that God was geographical. That's why he named the place Bethel. But God never told him, it's in this place that you'll meet me. He said, I'll be with you. I'll watch over. I'm going to be with you wherever you go. Nowhere in the Bible, old or new, does Jesus ever say he's in a place. He says he's with you. Even told David, David's like, let me build you a house. It's my life's ambition. Let me build you a house. I love God's answer. If I needed that, David, I wouldn't ask you. Don't you love it? Let me do this great thing for you. The Lord's like, 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 I need a house, dude. 
Seriously? If I did need it, I wouldn't be asking you. You know, if I needed a house, I'll build it myself or I'll just, you know, call for it. And it's going to happen. But he honored David. And he said, but because you've done this, I will honor you. But nowhere in scripture does God ever say he dwells in a place. And so Jacob's perception of God being out, and this is how Christians are. Oh, the Lord's out there, or God's in heaven, or God is distant. They see God as being distant when he's not just near, he's in you. The Holy Spirit is in you. We are the temple of the... So where's the temple of God? In you, right? So we are the temple individually, and we are the temple collectively. That's why when we come together as a people, there's resonating power. Because we're the the collective temple. We're not just the individual temple. And so Jacob's problem was he couldn't understand. The ancients, all of the prophets had the same problem. They, they, They couldn't see and understand. Jesus clarified that. He walked with them. I am with you. I am Emmanuel. I am God with you. Right? That stuff didn't happen in the New Testament. That was something that was relevant in the old. They just couldn't see it. He gives him, he tells him, shows him you have access. He says, you have a promise. He says, I'm going to be with you. And you know what he tells him? Ready? In the middle of Jacob's idiocy, God says, I'm going to do something significant with your life. Can you imagine? In the middle of your absolute greatest failure, Jesus shows up and goes, hey, good news. I'm going to do something great with you. (laughs) Who does that? Right? I don't know if you guys get this, but I mean, it's like, hello, He doesn't come up with a lecture or a speech or anything like that. He just says, Jacob, I'm going to do something great with you. I'm going to do something significant with you. Jacob's response was he acknowledged the Lord. He set up a memorial and he made a covenant. But the effect didn't have much. It didn't carry on past that because Jacob is seeing God geographically. So when Jacob left, it was kind of like, meh, that was cool. This is how most Christians, I'm going to tell you right now. Most Christians treat dreams and visions just like that. Meh, that was cool. Move on. We do school of the prophetic. We prophesy here. We give prophetic word to people. And this is what people do. Well, that was cool. Yep. All right. That's cool. They move on. They do nothing with the word. They do nothing with the dream. They do nothing with the vision. And like Jacob, they go off and do their own thing. Not realizing that that's a catapult into your future. Jacob could have, should have said, wait a second. The Lord is with me. The Lord is watching over me. This land is my destiny. Well, what do I need to do? And they think, and people, Christians think that God's going to do it all for you. He's going to do nothing for you. He'll do it with you. Salvation doesn't come where Jesus, Jesus has done it for me. He doesn't do anything. It's already done for me, just like your inheritance and your blessing. But none of that is active until you do something. People do not become born again until they give their life to Christ. The world is not saved. They're not. He's not, Jesus has paid the price for the whole world, but the world is not saved. They must repent and come to Christ. They must turn their hearts and give their lives away. So he's not going to do it for them. He's going to do it with them. It's the same thing with your dreams and destinies. God gives you dreams, gives you visions, gives you destinies. We are dreamers by nature. Acts chapter 2. Can I get a witness? What is the first proclamation over the church that is newly born? You shall prophesy and you shall dream dreams and see visions. Who gets to do that? All y'all. Not the pastors, not the ministry cast, none of that. Every person will prophesy. Those who are near, those who are far off. Every person will dream dreams and see visions. It's an inheritance. It's given to you. And so this dream and this vision had little to no effect upon Jacob. And you know what Jacob does? Ready? This is going to help you. 
because the dream and the vision had no effect on Jacob, it cost him 20 years of his life. 20 years of his life because he would not engage the vision that God gave him. He goes and gets married. He goes and binds himself to a man of the land for seven years. The man tricks him. So he binds himself to the man for another seven years because he's interested in the daughters. And so he, he got tricked the first time. So he goes for another seven years. So 14 years of his life, he made a covenant with a foreigner that he was never told to make. There's nowhere in the scripture where it says he consulted God. If you have a dream and a vision and a destiny over your life and a proclamation, before you go joining yourself to anything, you need to ask the Lord, is this what you want me to do? Is this a good idea? Well, God just allowed it. So it was in God's sovereign will that God allowed Jacob to join himself to Laban for seven years. Read that. Show me where that is. No such thing. That's a myth. Jacob refused to engage his identity and he refused to engage the destiny that was over his life and he made natural decisions that had supernatural consequences. That's a fact. And he not only did it for seven years, then another seven, the Bible says he lingered for another six. After he fulfilled his contract, he still lingered for another six years. And so God had to kick him in the pants. He has a second dream. He goes into business with his father-in-law. Did the Lord tell him to do that? No. Laban was a godless man. Would you stay in business with somebody who's robbing you blind? If you're, if you're, in, if you're in business and you're in your salon and your partner is robbing you blind, would you, would you stay in business with that person for 20 years? Is anybody here that would do that? Jacob did it. <laughs> he did it. He has a second dream. And you know what the second dream is? So this is, again, sometimes you need dreams to kick you in the pants. Jacob was laying on the ground for 20 years doing nothing. And he has a second dream. And you know what the second dream was? Ready? <laughs> it's hilarious. Your father-in-law, Laban, is ripping you off. He needed a dream to tell him that because he was so blind to the reality of his circumstances. Laban had changed his wages 10 times. And it didn't occur to him. And he had changed and shifted the agreement with him over and over again. He kept changing terms with him. And it didn't occur to, to, to Jacob at all that this guy's dishonest. He just kept going with the flow. Must be God's will. Laban is deceiving you. He's taking advantage of you. It's time to go. And so God had to give Jacob another dream to wake him out of his slumber. Sometimes you guys need visions and you need dreams to catalyze you and to catapult you out of a circumstance that you have grown comfortable with. Just a thought. But so God gives him instruction. But here again, what Jacob should have done is go, well, how would you like me to do this, Lord? How would you like me to leave? He doesn't, here's Jacob. You can see this repeatedly with Jacob is he did not inquire of the Lord. Repeatedly. God gives him instructions and he doesn't go how. He doesn't go when. He doesn't go where. You know, God puts a destiny over his life and he goes and lives his own way and binds himself and loses it. And it costs him 20 years of his life because of his foolishness. How much more time do you got to spend on this stuff without inquiring of God? We get involved in things that we're not supposed to be involved in. We make agreements with people we're not supposed to make agreements with. We make bondages with people we're not... We, and then, then worst of all, even if those covenants are fulfilled, we linger. We linger. <laughs> he lingered for six years. Still getting robbed. <laughs> Father-in-law's just robbing him blind. So he leaves Laban, but he leaves Laban without confrontation. Jacob had a problem with confrontation. So Jacob just packs up everything in the middle of the night and bails. 
right? So you can see Jacob's problem. Jacob didn't like, most of us don't like confrontation. There are people who love confrontation, and there are people who would rather go to the dentist and have their teeth pulled than have a confrontation, right? And you know that's like somebody needs to tell them that, and when the guy goes, hey, that's me, I'll tell him. Don't worry about it. I'm going to let him out. That's usually not the guy that needs to confront or the woman that needs to confront. The person that needs to confront is the one that's reluctant because they, send, they often tend to be more tempered unless there's something that's just got to be said cold. Right? It's got to be said cold, ham sandwich, cold, straight up. Here it is. This is what time it is. It's like, well, who's going to say this direct? Well, I don't know who likes to. I'll, I'll tell them. I'll tell them right now. That's people who like confrontation. Most of us don't like comfort. Most people don't like confrontation. The people that do or have no problem with it are rare. They're much rare, but they're, they're, ne- they're necessary. And so he leaves with, by avoiding confrontation. Jacob carried her father's idols with him. So Laban was an idolater. Ready? This is another thing that's going to keep you from your dreams. When you carry the idolatry of your ancestors, she stole her father's gods, household gods. They would have idols and they would worship. And Rachel stole them. So Rachel's carrying idolatry of her ancestors into this dream. And of all of the things Laban wanted back or of all of the things Laban was angry about, he was angry about that. Where are my household gods? Shows you what kind of guy this guy was. Jacob got involved in things and, and he never stood up for himself. Jacob begins to move into the dream that God has called him to. So Laban, he resolves the issue with Laban. Laban comes to confront him. And the Bible says that Laban was intent on harm. And the Bible says that Laban had a dream. And the Lord told Laban in a dream, do him no harm. He was going to, was going to harm Jacob. And the Lord showed up and said, don't you dare. Don't, don't, you, you be neutral. He said, neither speak good of him nor speak evil, but do him no harm. And so Laban basically says... There's nothing I can do about you leaving, Jacob. You've taken everything. Um, you know, and, and Jacob tells him, hey, look, you were blessed while I was there. It's time for me to move on. He should have had that conversation back in the land, but he didn't. And Laban's like, where's my gods? Nobody knows where his gods are. <laughs> and the prophet would say, have them call out to you. Aren't they gods? Your gods speak, don't they? That's what he used to tell the children of Israel when they would worship gods. Have them, call, have them answer you. Aren't they gods? Aren't they idols? Have them call out. So she's carrying all this stuff forward. Jacob begins to move into the dream. So he's going back to the land. The Lord told him, go back to the place where I promised you. Go back to the place of the dream. I want you to go back there. These 20 years you've wasted. Now it's time to recover what you've lost. Aren't you glad? And he has news that his brother's coming. Happy day. Hey, man, your brother's coming. And he's got 400 armed men with him. Which brother? The brother that wants to kill me? Yes, that brother. The brother that wanted to kill you 20 years ago. And so Jacob has a meltdown. Esau is now coming. And so he has to reach a crisis. When you ever have, anytime you have a dream, say this with me. Dreams are not possible without crisis. We don't, say this with me. We don't change when we see the light. We change when we feel the heat. Jacob's about to feel the heat. He's avoiding. He wants to avoid a circumstance that is, that is a direct obstacle to the future that God has for him. He has to deal with this. There's no option here. There's no option. He has to deal with this situation. There's never a dream without a crisis. Jacob has to reconcile the deeds of his past. A lot of people are withheld from their dreams because they have failed to reconcile the issues of their past. They failed to reconcile the habits. They feel most people are too busy holding on to the pains of the past. 
Because the pain of the past is familiar, and we choose a familiar past over a hopeful, unknown future. And that is a fatal mistake. When people cling to the familiarity of a painful past and refuse to let go of the familiarity of a painful past in order to embrace the unknown of a future, a hopeful future, that is fatal. Nothing's going to happen. Most, most, most people can't let go. They can't let go because they, they don't like the unknown. Right? They, they, they just cling to, the, they cling to the familiar. You have to make a choice that I release the painful familiarity of a broken past and I embrace the unknown, hopeful future in Christ. Most people will never, they, they just can't get to that place. Jacob has to reconcile these deeds of his past. We have to reconcile the deeds, the attitudes, the choices, the mistakes that we've made, issues in our life, attitudes, whatever it may be, repentance. So if there's a natural means, there's natural means where we have to confront our issues. Then there's also areas of repentance if you want to get spiritual. And there's areas of repentance that relate to your past and your past choices, things that you regret but you've never repented of. Repentance is a lost word in the church. Repentance is not a punishment. It's a gift. You know, oh man, that guy did wrong. He had to repent. Yeah, poor him. I'm like, repent? I live to repent. Where can I repent? You got something for me to repent of, Lord? I love it. Repentance lifts the enemy off of me. It breaks his yoke and it releases me into my future. Whatever the enemy binds you with is broken in repentance. Repentance is a gift. We don't repent one time. We live a lifestyle of repentance. You have a wrong attitude, Lord, I repent. You have wrong actions, Lord, I repent. You have unreconciled issues from your past, regrets and pains you've been holding on to. You need to repent of that. You need to repent. I made them, you you know. Anyway, that's another teaching. (laughs) I'm going to go down the road of repentance, and I'm never going to come back here in a second. But it's, it's a gift to you. You need to learn to practice repentance. It, repentance in the Hebrew is teshuva. It means come back to me. In the Greek, it's metanoia, which means change the way you think. But repentance, changing the way you think, means nothing until you first come back to the Lord. You've made attitudes. You've made decisions. You've done personal things that you have taken. And the Lord says, bring it back to me. Lord, I've been off in my attitude. I give my attitude back to you, teshuva. I want to think as you think. I want to see as you see. I want to do as you do. Lord, I've been off in my finances. I have claimed what is mine when it belongs to you. Lord, teshuva, I come back to you and I repent of my failures and my ignorance and my arrogance. When I came to Christ, I spent like two days. I was like, I was in this, like, I didn't even know what I was doing. I had no clue. Nobody ever told me to do any of this. But I was in a house and we didn't have any furniture and we didn't have TVs at the time. My roommate and I were like just total flop house guys, you know, back in the day. But I had returned to Christ and I just was like, just days I was repenting. I, no one told me to fast. I didn't even know what, I kind of knew what it was. I'm like, okay, we don't eat. I was like, all right, sounds good to me. Read your Bible. All right, I can do that too. And the whole time I was just in the room and it's just all of these things were coming up from my past, all of the regrets and the pains and the hurts and the sorrows. And I just, and even though I didn't understand the word repent, I was like, Lord, I'm sorry for that. Lord, I change on that. I don't want that anymore. I was saying this stuff for days on end. It's called sanctification. It's not a one-time act. We do it over and over as believers. You, you, there's issues that we have to reconcile, and the enemy claims a right over you because there's, an un, there's a lack of repentance. And here's the stupid things that we say. Well, that's under the blood. Don't worry about that. Where's that? Where's that? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us the sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. The cleansing only comes through confession. 
Oh, it's getting quiet in here. Oh, it's under the blood. Yeah, it's under the blood, but I repent of that action. I repent of the attitude. I repent of the ego. I repent of the words. I repent of the choices. I renounce all associations with any such covenants, and I break them today in the name of Jesus. And I demand and declare that I go free. Oh, yeah. Try that out. I feel power just by saying that. Because there's power on it. And the enemy wants to rob the church of these powerful gifts, such as repentance, in order to keep us slaves. God expects us to understand this, yet we are woefully ignorant. And we create religious hierarchies and religious structures around these words. Well, you had to repent. Oh, wow. Is that Pastor Kevin? Yeah. Oh, man, I heard he had to repent. Oh, I haven't repented in 20 years. I didn't repent since I come to Jesus. I mean, it's how we we're just, we're dumb. Christian dumb. And in doing so, we neuter the power of God in our lives by simple things like that. You need, you need, I'm going to give it to you right now. Ready? This is what's going to happen. And when he tells, I'm going to, we're going to do a little, just a little invitational prayer to the Holy Spirit. And you're going to have a choice to listen to him when he tells you. Is he going to tell me today? I don't know when he's going to tell you, but you should listen to him. And you're going to say to him, I want you to say this, Holy Spirit, I give you permission to show me the areas of my life in relationship to my past and in relationship to my future where you require repentance. Any and every area that holds me back, any and every area that produces a right of denial over my life and over my destiny, I give you permission to show me where I need to repent. I dare you. And what's going to happen, he's going to show you, and your ego is going to come up, and your pride's going to come up, and you're going to fight against it, and you're going to try to deny it. Your flesh will deny it. What you need to do is crucify that flesh, sit down and write that stuff down. This is what he's telling me to repent of. And you know what I do? I'll give you another one. I'll give you another little, little secret. I'm not saying I got it all, you know, but I'm telling you how he works with me. And I ask the Lord, what do you want me to say? How would you like me to repent? And I let him tell me the words. And I just write. Sometimes it's two or three pages. Sometimes it's a paragraph, but I let him tell me. And I said, then I, when I'm done writing, I'm like, good? He's like, we're good. And then I read the prayer back to him. I do, 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 do. Because that's what he wants from me. He wants to apply the law of the spirit to you and break the bondage of the enemy off of you. The enemy wants to keep accusations against you. So he does. He's an accuser of the brethren. We think he's accused. On what basis is he accusing you on? An unrepented sin. He claims rights. He claims inheritances. I could tell you some stories, but I won't. <laughs> no, I'm not. Jacob was neglectful in areas of his life. So he hears, he hears that Esau is coming to him. And you know what Jacob does? He sends money to his brother. So here's Jacob trying to buy his way out of the problem. Okay? Then he, does, he sends money to his brother to try to appease him. Then he sends his family in front of him. Honey, good news. I'm going to stay here. And you're going to go over there. And you're going to wait. My brother's coming. But isn't your brother coming with armed men? Yeah, that's okay. Don't worry about that. Isn't your brother, doesn't this the same brother that wants to kill you? No, it's okay. So you can see where Jacob's doing. Jacob is all about self-preservation. He's willing to put his wife and kids out there and expose them. So you can see where he's really neglectful and there's a total absence of character. And so God has to reconcile that character in order to manifest the dream. If God cannot manifest that character or reconcile that character, he cannot manifest the dream. So he's going to make Jacob reconcile his character. 
in order to manifest the dream. So Jacob sends his family out in front of him. <laughs> That's hilarious. And he had a dream, he had a promises, but he was neglectful. And the Bible says this, Hosea, it, well, it, tells us, it tells us how he did it. It says, in great fear and distress, Jacob did this. So he made these decisions out of great fear and great distress. Does it say that the, Jacob made this decision because the Lord told him? No. Again, no inquiry, no communion, no access to God, no listening to God. Only everything was by his own will or by his own impulses or by his own understanding. Hosea 12.3 says, Jacob struggled with his brother in the womb. And as a man, he fought with God. So here you see Jake, the story of Jacob's life. He's contending against everyone. He's contending against people. He's contending against circumstances. And he's literally fighting the will of God on his life. Over and over and over again. Jacob liked to force the issue and then he ran away when it got hard. <laughs> he'd try to get his way. And then when it didn't happen or something, or something went wrong, he'd run away. In the night, Jesus shows up. The first phase Jesus, uh, Jacob comes to is the crisis phase. He has to come to the weak point of his life to where he can understand what is keeping me from that dream. God gives you a dream. And you need to ask him how. You need to ask him what. And you need to ask him where are the areas of my life that can be used against me to prevent me from doing that. I dare you. I dare you. You will not like the answer. That's, this is Christ, I call it my little pony, Christians. With my little pony, we think Jesus is all about rainbows and fairy glitter and my little pony. And that God would never tell you anything in a correcting way. You're crazy. He won't tell you anything in a correcting way unless you ask him. But if you ask him, he's going to tell you. What's your problem? What, what keeps me from that? You have a lack of follow through. You have an attitude issue. You have this. You have that. He's going to tell you. And you're going to, and you're going to look at you and you're going to, he's going to wait for a response. And then we're going to go, oh my God, Jesus told me I have an attitude problem. I don't love me. Then you say, well, what do you want me to do about the attitude problem? It's a relationship. It's a communion. You have an attitude. Your attitude is wrong, Kevin. You violate your conscience. I was talking with a guy recently, and I was not sure what to say to him. And the Lord told me, you will say this. And I'm like, I don't want to say that. And he said, you will say this. And I said, okay. And I'm looking for a better answer or a better word. And I go, you got a better word? And the Lord's like, no, say this. And I told him. I said, the Lord says to you, you violate your conscience repeatedly. You're asking him to reconcile a situation, but you continually violate your conscience repeatedly. And I could feel the drive that God was saying. You're crying out to me, asking me to help you, asking me to do these things. But the Lord is saying to you, and I knew little to nothing about the dude, other than the fact that he's telling me a circumstance. And I'm trying to hear what the Lord would have me say. I'm like, what do you want me to say? How do you want me to minister? What do you want me to do? I'm a little confused by the situation. What do you want? And the Lord said, you'll say this to him. You continue to violate your conscience. Oh, Jesus would never say that. He would never tell someone that hurts their feelings. You violate your conscience. God tells you not to do it, and you do it anyway. The Spirit of God bears witness against you not to do it, and you do it anyway. You continually violate your conscience. Until you stop violating your conscience, nothing's going to change. That's what does his word to him. Now, did God say that because he doesn't love him? No, God said that because he loves him. You're asking me for change. I want to bring you change. But every time I try to bring you change, you violate your conscience. Just a thought. I'm trying to get you guys up and running and to understand how God works and how the spirit kingdom works. We, we, teach, a, we teach a facade. It's not God is going to tell you. 
If you ask him, he's going to tell you. Why? Because he wants the best for you. He wants you to have the dream that he set before you. You think he set it before you and told you you can't have it? He set it before you and he wants you to have it. But like Jacob, we have to reconcile issues of our character or it's not going to happen. And it's not just character. Here's another misnomer. You know, character, well, we just, you know, we act like we're like religious robots and that's the demonstration of character. Are you serious? This is how the church portrays this stuff. It's just nonsense. When are we going to realize that that viewpoint doesn't work? And so we come into church and we all pretend. We all buttoned up, nice and tight. Most of our churches are religious experiences at best. Everybody's pretending, acting like, oh, that person doesn't have character. What character, character is obedience to God. Character is honor to the Lord. That's what character is. It doesn't matter what any of this stuff, that, that, all that stuff is religious pretense. It's, it's nothing. It's tinkling symbols and brass. It means nothing. Characters of the heart. Characters where the value and the esteem of his honor is greater than your life. That's character. Where I esteem his value, I esteem his worth, and I esteem his honor more than my own life. And I will pay him with my own life in order to honor him. That's character. So Jesus shows up. Right? So he has to face this moment of crisis. He has to get past this. He's moving into this future. And Jesus shows up. So he sends his wife and kids in front of him. And he starts going, oh, now he's going, oh, God, what do I do? And as soon as he starts saying, oh, God, what do I do? What happens? Jesus comes cruising in the door. And he has an encounter with Jesus again. What do I do? And what does the Lord do? He starts wrestling with Jacob. What does this mean he's wrestling? How many knows Jesus could be pinned Jacob pretty quick? Right? Anybody doubt that? But what God is showing us is that I will come down to your level. God is showing us I will reason with you. I will labor with you. I will help you deal with the processes that you can't deal with. I will come down and get on one knee and allow you to wrestle with me on things you don't understand. And I will labor with you to get you to a point of understanding if you'll let me. That's what he's doing. And so he wrestles with Jacob, wrestles against himself well, trying to get Jacob to face his past. Jacob refuses, and so the Lord's leaving. So that's it. I'm out. He didn't labor for an hour. Jacob, the Lord labored all night. This is what he's telling us. I'll labor long with you, but I will not always strive with you. At some point, you're going to reach a point where God's going to say to you, I'll leave you to your insolence. I'll leave you to your arrogance. I'll leave you to your self-will. doesn't mean he abandoned you, but he abandons you to the circumstances. He doesn't want to. But you leave him no choice. Jacob had no choice. He knew, the Lord knows Esau's coming over the, Esau's coming over that hill at dawn. Right? So it's dawn, dude. I've tried. The hour is struck now. You're not willing to do it, so I'm leaving. Which is the point of confrontation. See, he wrestles with him. And the Lord says, and then he said, the man says, let me go for it is dawn. He says, I will not let you go until, I, until you bless me. This is the point of commitment. At some point, you're going to have to realize you need Jesus. At some point, you're going to have to realize that no dream, no vision is ever possible without the Lord. He throws his arms around the Lord, right? And he says, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. In other words, do not leave me the same. Good God, could that be the cry of our hearts? Whatever you do, Jesus, do not leave me the same. Whatever you do, Jesus, do not leave me to myself. The worst thing that could ever happen to you is to be left to yourself. Did you know that? Have you ever watched you? Have you ever seen you? You're the most self-destructive person that ever lived. 
we're constantly destroying ourselves. Given over to our own nature, we make self-destructive, egotistical, arrogant, foolish, stupid choices that hurt ourselves and hurt others. Over and over again. The worst thing that can happen is if the Lord's like, dude, I'm out. I'm out. I tried. I'm out. I'm going to leave you to your own devices. I love you, Jacob, but I can't make you move. You're gonna, you're, now you're going to be left. That's, that's not a good place. And so he's leaving him. And he says, and Jacob realizes, uh-oh, this is for real. And he throws his arms around. He said, I will not let you go until you bless me. Now, how does he bless him? This is the question, right? He asked the Lord face-to-face for a blessing. And what is the blessing? Well, A, he commits. B, he makes him confess. Who are you? How have you lived your life, Jacob? What, by your own devices, has your life produced? Who are you? And he says, what, Jesus didn't know who he was? And he says, I'm Jacob. I'm a, that's his name, means conniver. His, his name means heel catcher. His name means usurper. I manipulated my circumstances all my life. I've tried to overcome people with my own will. I've been foolish. I've been arrogant. I've stolen from others. I've done all of these things. That's who you are. Who are you? He brings him to this point of recognition. And God says to him, okay, that's cool. And he says, here's your problem. You have a twofold problem. This is most people's problems. If we can solve this problem, we're going to go a long way. Twofold problems. False perceptions of God and false perceptions of their identity in Christ. Those are the biggest problems people face. They perceive God to be someone who he is not. They don't know him. It's everywhere. Presumptuous and assumptuous people. Well, it must be God's will. Well, who told you it's God's will? You know, it's, just, it's all this nonsense that we, we live with and we deal with. And it creates more problems. The answer is, is you must rightly understand the Lord. We, you, you should tremble. You break the second commandment when you create God in your own image. And you start telling him he's like this and telling him he's like that. Read the book of Job. That's the whole summary of the book of Job. Is a group of guys sitting around pontificating trying to tell God who he is. And he shows up and he goes, none of you know me. None of you. You speak foolish of me. You act like you know me and not one of you knows me. He tells us who knew him. Abraham knew him. He said he knew me. Moses knew me. He said the people know the ways of God, but God, but, but they know, they, Moses knows me. The people know of me, but Moses knows me. He tells us who knew him. Our problem is our perception. Our problem is our perception of God and our perception of ourselves. He said, how do you see yourself, Jacob? How have you been living your life? I've been living my life according to the identity that it was born upon me. All of your choices, all of your reflections. The Bible says as a man thinks in their heart. Come on. So they are. As they believe and perceive in your heart, so it will be. Jacob believed and perceived in his heart that he was this. And his life produced it. And what is the blessing that God gave him? He says, the root of your problem, Jacob, is the perception you have of me that I'm so distant, that I'm not near. And that's the whole point of the wrestling match is that I'm a God who's going to not just be out there. I'm not in Bethel, Jacob. I'm right here with you. And the moment you call upon me, I come through the veil and I talk to you. And the moment you call upon me, I get down to your level and I'm willing to wrestle. God is trying to minister to Jacob's false perception of him. I will labor with you. I will talk with you. I will work things through with you. I will not judge you. I will not speak down to you. I will speak with you and work on it with you. And I will try to communicate to you. God trying to get it across to Jacob. 
his false identity of who God was. And then he's getting across to him right here, his false perception of himself. You have a poor perception of yourself. And all of the choices of your life are directly related to the false perception you have of yourself. Did I tell you you're not that? Did I tell you you're Jacob? Did I call you by that name? Why don't you ask me what I call you? He doesn't even need to ask. The Lord tells him. Did the Lord go, yep, you're Jacob. You're a loser for sure. Straight out of the box, bro. There's nothing good about you. Did the Lord say that? This is broken, selfish, arrogant, foolish, conniving, manipulating Jacob, whose family is over there exposed. Right? His wife and kids are out in the cold, exposed, without protection, while he hides in the real. This is the God, this is the person God is talking to. And he says, You are Israel. You are a prince of God. The greatest blessing you could ever have is a revelation of your identity. You want to dream in a vision? Get this one. Who you are in Christ. Pound it in your head, Philippians says. Beat it into your skull. Tape it on your mirror. I'm a daughter. I'm a son of the highest. Healing is my birthright. I'm a son of the highest. Success is my birthright. Destiny is my birthright. Significance is my birthright. This is who I am and I will accept nothing short. How about you? If you struggle with that, you're already struggling with your identity. You don't know who you are. Who called you that? He does. Did, did you, that's what I told first service. I said, when Jesus, did you read an ad that says, Jesus is looking for daughters? Did you read an ad and say, Jesus is taking applications for sons? And you go, oh, Jesus is looking for some sons to adopt. Let me send in a resume. You didn't send in a resume. You didn't put a request in for that position. It's given to you. And what God is saying is begin to perceive yourself differently. Your perceptions have to change if your life is going to change. You must begin to perceive yourself as a daughter. You must begin to perceive yourself as a son. And every decision you make is in light of that. You say, I'm a mom. No, you're a daughter who is a mother. I'm a businessman. No, you're a son who's in business. Do you get that? That identity precedes everything else. Everything else, that has to be at the top of the list. And you have to perceive yourself, I'm a son of the highest, called to be about my father's business. Every decision, every choice, every method, every person, everything that that associates with your life has to pass through that filter. And if it doesn't, then you're failing. And what you're doing is you're exposing yourself. I'm a daughter. Is this where I should be? I'm a son of the highest. Is this what I should be doing? Is this my inheritance? Is this my association? And if it's not, then then somebody's stealing from you. And it's not Jesus. If somebody's stealing your healing, it ain't Jesus that's stealing your healing. Good God, bad devil. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. You must perceive yourself as how he sees you. The greatest blessing you can ever receive is your identity in Christ. The Bible says this, therefore, if any man is, a new, is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone. You know what that means? Completely gone. He doesn't even know you. But you come to the Lord and you're like, oh, remember when I was before I knew you? Jesus goes, I don't even know that person. That person's literally vanished. The only way he perceives you, and this is hard for us to get our mind around, is how you are in Christ. Here's how you activate the identity. We talk about this a lot here. You want to know who you are? Get in the spirit. Begin to bathe yourself in the spirit. Begin to worship in the spirit. Begin to immerse yourself. Not with like, how great is our God? No, but like, let the spirit of God come on you. Enter into the presence of the spirit and you're a different person. Aren't you? You're completely, you don't even, you don't even recognize you. You're like, wow, man, I'm pretty cool. I didn't even know that. You don't have any problems when you're in the spirit. 
That's your eternal being. Your eternal being is that, is that, that this is the real you. This is the Jesus, the, the you that Jesus sees, is you in the spirit. And when you're experiencing that, that is your eternal state. Can you imagine how worry-free you are when you're in the spirit? How you just like, you know, you ever get in worship environments and you just don't want to leave? You're like, I don't want to leave. Why? Because tomorrow's Monday. I just want to stay right here, you know, because it's eternity. You're in eternity. But when you're out of the spirit, that's the other you. That's your Jacob, right? Israel, Jacob. Israel, Jacob. I'll give you another one. Simon, Peter. Simon, Peter. That's how God spoke to Israel in the, in the future. Is when they were, they were acting foolish, he called them Jacob because they became a nation. Whenever Peter became, when acted foolish, God called him Simon. Why? Jesus is like, Simon, Simon, you're acting like your old self again, Simon. Do you love me, Simon, son of Jonah? For you even doubt that I love you, Simon, is for you to act in your old nature. For you to even lack perception that I'm for you is for you to act in your old nature. The first dream you need is a revelation of your identity. And then lastly is the conversion phase, when Jacob fully converts to understanding who he is. And where do you see him the next day? And the next day, he's out in front of his family. He's no longer hiding. If you read the story, Jacob went from hiding behind his family, his wife and kids, right? And all of his servants and all of his money, Jacob would hide behind all of that. And now he parts the sea of all of these people when he goes and stands by himself with them behind him. And he faces Esau as Esau comes at him. What happened? He had a revelation of who he was. That's what happened. He converted himself into being who he was. He said, well, I don't know what's going to happen, but this is what God is intending me to do. And God told him, you're not going to run anymore. You're not going to run anymore. I'm not going to let you run. You know, you, you can do it without me, but I'm not letting you run. And so God pushed it into that point and he had to convert. Jacob got in front of him. He communes. He doesn't know if Jacob, if Esau's going to kill him. Esau comes. Esau sees him. Esau embraces him. There's a restoration between Jacob and Esau in that moment. And Esau says, come home with me. Come back and hang out with me. And Jacob says, no, 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 I want to stay here. Why did he want to stay here? The Bible tells us. He stayed and he built Sukkots. He built tabernacles for him and his family. He just experienced the revelation. He just experienced an encounter. He just experienced the breakthrough. Jacob's problem was he failed to commune. Remember that? Remember Jacob's problem? He never communed with the Lord. He didn't listen to the Lord. And now all of a sudden, where do you see him after he's converting? He's communing. Sukkot, feast of booths. It means he's communing with God. He's like, he tells his brother, I'm going to stay here for a few days and I'm going to commune. So you see what happens? Where he went from a non-communer making all these proactive decisions and all this other stuff, a man of action, man of self-will, doing all of these stupid things. He's come to the point where he understands that if I'll listen to God, things will be different. And he starts, he starts creating different habits for himself. He converts to the concept that he's a son. He converts not just the son, but a prince. Church has his perceptions we're sinners saved by grace. Where's that? Can you show me that? We're not, we're not sinners by saved by grace. Such were some of you, Ephesians says, or excuse me, Corinthians says, but you've been washed. You know what the Bible calls you? Sons. You know what the Bible calls you? Daughters. You know what the Bible calls you? Royal. You know what the Bible calls you? Priests. You know what the Bible calls you? Holy. You know what the Bible calls you? Nation. That's what he calls you. He calls you an ambassador. Kings and queens unto our God, Revelation says. 
Not one mention of any of that. We have to perceive ourselves as this. And, and Jacob began to perceive himself as royal. I'm a prince of God. You're not a prince or a princess of God because the world tells you. You're not a prince or princess of God because mama told you. Mama called him Jacob. Mama called him heel catcher. His ancestry spoke one thing, but his future spoke something else. The question is, is whose voice will you believe? Will you believe the voice of your ancestry? Will you believe the voice of your culture? Will you believe the voices of everything that everyone else puts upon you? Or will you believe the voice of your father who calls you what you are? Long before you get there. Princess, I don't look like a princess. Doesn't matter, you are. Prince, doesn't matter, I don't look like a prince. Doesn't matter, you are. I tell you what, angels will know that. The angels know what you are. The devil certainly does. The devil plays on the ignorance of the believer because the believer doesn't know who they are. They have no clue. That's another story. The foundation is a willingness to change, a commitment that is backed up to confess and deal with your junk and to convert and to commune. Deal with your issues. Be willing to change. Commit with a commitment that you back up, that I will do this because the Lord has told me. Deal with the barriers and the issues that come before you as you pursue the things that God has for you. And then convert to your true identity and live a life that's in communion on the basis of that identity. Which means, involve Jesus in every step of the process. Amen? You believe it? No? Guys are like quiet, like a hush. Those of you that are watching at home, we want to honor you, we want to bless you. And I know that there are people out there that are watching that have never given their life to Jesus. And you're watching this and you're like, oh, I need a dream. I need a vision. I'm going to give you a dream and I want to give you a vision. I want to give you a dream and a vision of your destiny and of your purpose. And one of the reasons why you're watching this, if you've never given your life to Christ, we believe it's a divine appointment that you're actually watching this. Whether now or at some point in the future, the Lord is calling you. It's the word kaleo. It means summons. The Lord is calling you from where you are to where you need to be. Not everybody is a son and a daughter. The Bible says that if you receive Christ, you are given the power to be a son and a daughter. You're given the ability, the name, the recognition. Without Jesus, you're not a part of God's family, but he doesn't want that for you. Jesus wants you to become a part of his family. And people say, well, Jesus is mad at me. Jesus isn't mad at you. He's mad about you. He says this, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he has risen from the dead, the Bible says you'll be saved. What does that mean? It means a lot of things. But one of the things it means in context of what I'm saying is it means you'll be adopted. You'll be adopted as a son, adopted as a daughter. You'll be embraced. You'll become always wanted, always accepted. You say, well, how do I do it? Well, at Elevate, we pray as a family and we say a simple prayer. And every Christian comes to Christ the same way. Every person that becomes born again, becomes saved, that comes to the Lord, comes the same way. And we come through a prayer, an open heart. And a prayer. The Bible says, believe in your heart. And confess with your mouth. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to close this service right here. Don't you turn off that stream. Don't you turn it off. Give yourself another 120 seconds of your life that can change your future, that can change your now, and it will change your eternity. So we're going to pray. And pray with us. All right? We're going to say this prayer. Just open your heart and pray. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior. And I may not understand this, but I choose to believe it. And so I open my heart to you, Jesus. And I ask you to come inside. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to restore me. And I ask you to repurpose my life. Everything that I am, I give to you. And everything that you are, 
I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you in Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer, send us an email. We would love to know. Elevate Miami Church at Gmail. We'd love to hear from you, send you some stuff and bless you. And then one more blessing. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you in every way. And may you forever live within his favor in Jesus' name. God loves you. We love you. Have a wonderful week. Dream class 330.